0: I am Katie Rich and I'm here by myself and I'm going to keep it quick today because I want to introduce two interviews you're going to hear from two of our Vanity Fair colleagues. First up, you'll hear Johanna Desta, a writer at Vanity Fair and a frequent guest on the show talking to Deesis and Mero, the hosts of the talk show Deesis and Mero. Also Writers Guild of America award winners for Best Comedy Variety Talk Series for this show. And then after that, there'll be a brief break and you'll hear from Julie Miller, who talks to Jason Bateman about the final season of Ozark. He's an Emmy winner for directing for Ozark, and he had a huge hand in creating and starring in the show as well and has lots to say about how that Netflix series wrapped up. So let's go ahead and get to both of those interviews. Mm-hmm.
4: We were just talking about this before I, we started recording, but it was both of your birthdays recently, so I got to say happy birthday officially yeah. on the podcast. Thank you.
3: <laughs> Another rotation around the sun.
4: Yes. How did you guys celebrate?
3: Oh, I went out to BBQs with some friends, and then we ended up at karaoke. And then around 4 a.m., I was like, yo, I have to record a show tomorrow. So <laughs> that, was, <laughs> that was my night. That if you hear, I don't really have a voice. That is the reason
5: why. I, I'm very similarly... Mm-hmm. But God bless me, and, like, the calendar fell on the day that we did not have to record. So I went out to Locksmith, shout out to Locksmith, and got absolutely, I time-traveled. You know what I'm saying? I time-traveled, <laughs> got home safely.
4: <laughs> well, congratulations to both of you. Happy birthday, and, and Rihanna's baby is falling in your footsteps, which we love. Shout baby. out to the baby, you're... You know what I'm saying? <laughs> what do you think they're going to name the baby, if you had to guess? Ooh. Oh, man. Ooh.
3: A certain uh, baby? Maybe to keep with Rihanna's uh, roots, maybe young flying fish. Something like that, you know. Something oh. delicious.
4: You know? Okay. <laughs> of course. Something delicious. Perfect. Perfect. Yes. We love that. That's what the baby deserves. Little conch?
3: Everyone loves a everyone does love everyone loves a delicious baby. I don't know if you're allowed to say that. Might be a hot take.
4: You know, we're gonna we're gonna leave you on the island of that thought. Uh, but I love that you said that. <laughs> Let's talk about the reason why we're here. Do Samira, the amazing illustrious late night show. Uh, I want to I have so many, so many questions. I love the show. I've been a fan for a long time since before before Showtime. So I want to talk, you know, you're in this season now. You've been doing it for a while. What was something that you were really excited to do going into the season or something that was on your mind when you were crafting this season?
3: I think we really, when we finished season three, we really hit a stride. So it was like getting back at it. Cause we knew we, like season three, you start seeing like the guests were getting bigger and uh, the sketches was getting better. And so we kind of knew we had something for season four. So it was just basically getting back at it. And if you look, season four has not failed. You know, we see nothing about Lesbians guests. We got Denzel, we got Pusha T, we got Michelle Yo. We have guests that when we tell people these are the guests on our show, people are like, "Yo." They're starting to take us serious now if they were fronting on the show before. So, you know, it's just like just keeping that energy going, just like barreling through and just making the show as fire as we know we can make it.
5: And digital, man, like they, the digital team is mm-hmm. so talented and they gave them more resources and more time to really do a bunch of, you know, dope stuff. So, like the happy hours that have been coming out have been phenomenal. Killing it. You know it. what I mean? People love those. Shout out to the digital gang, you know what I mean? Tawanda Rainey. Rob, Dean, (laughs) I list names, 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 uh, names, mm names, but now they got more budget, they got a little more room to maneuver. So they're creating art.
4: What was like a moment where you felt that kind of shift? Like, oh, people are inviting us to things. Oh, we're getting nominated for things. Like when, can you say if there was a moment when you noticed that shift happening?
3: You know, once politicians started coming on our show, it became a major stop for presidential nominees. Mm-hmm. Like, we were having conversations with people who possibly decide the future of the nation. At that point, it's like, I mean, you can't talk to me the same way you were talking to me in 2016. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's a change. Don't ask me for ID when I'm buying beer. You know who I am. I know Joe Biden. But you <laughs> That's know? right.
5: That's, like, literally, like, that. the show becoming, like, a must stop on, the cam- mm-hmm. like on your, like, campaign trail or whatever, like, that was an early indicator of, like, yo, this is an important show and people need... Like mm-hmm. people are coming to the show for a certain, you know, voice and a certain demo and, and, and all that. But that really kind of like, oh, mm-hmm. OK,
4: Absolutely. Kirsten Gillibrand
5: wants to come up here and take us to Troy and like Daydrick. OK. Cook us and... Yes. <laughs>
4: <laughs> well, yeah. Talk to me about when when an opportunity like that arises. Is it like I, I assume you take every guest super seriously, but that is like, all right. Do you guys come up with a different strategy when you're talking to a politician?
3: You know, it was just trying to find a way to make it natural and not make it pandering. Because the whole thing is like, a lot of these politicians, you knew from the jump, they were not making it. So it's just like, are we wasting people's time? Are they just using us to talk to like the urban community? Like little things like that. But then there's also like, how can we make it so it doesn't suck? Like how can we make it part of the show and make it fun? So like, you know, like someone with Pete Buttigieg, there's only but so much you can do with him. And we took him to a park and we drank with him. Dude, I mean, like, what else do you want us to do? Like, I mean, that worked out. But people were upset about that. But I was like, yo, oh, fam, that's Bodega Boys. That's what we do. We would drink in the park. So mm-hmm. if we want to talk to someone, have a discussion, that's a natural environment for us. So it was always like that. It was like try, kind of try, try to take the politician out of their um, comfort zone. And get them to a place where they couldn't just talk about talking points, where they had mm-hmm. to have an actual conversation, and people could see who they really were, and not just who their press secretary was telling them to be.
4: Right, yeah. exactly. And
5: this is not like a shot at like other shows, but like they would go into those situations kind of like knowing, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, a, like I want to say all late night shows aside from ours do like pre-interviews and let's talk about what we're going to talk about, and that's not our vibe at all. Our vibe is very yeah, like oh, off yeah. the cuff, very casual, humanizing.
3: You don't want want someone in there like, you know, doing it with the same, you know, shout to Chris Hayes, that's the homely from school, but you don't want someone in there talking about, oh my God, the GPA of inflation in the Ukraine is affecting the price of the global, car. you're like, no, 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 that's not what our show is, that's (laughs) not what our show is, it's bad Italian accents, very problematic uh, penis jokes, and maybe some drug references from the Bronx, you're not getting more than that, you're not getting less than that, but that's what you tuned in for.
4: I am curious, like, has there ever been someone or when you guys were getting into the late night space, were there ever people trying to push you down a more traditional path? Like, oh, do the pre-interview or do this, have this kind of guess. Were there people trying to do that or were you able to kind of always shield the show from that? Well,
3: because we were on CBS and uh, Stephen Colbert called us the N-word. So there was that. yeah. No, I just make that. Look. No, no, no. No,
0: just... no. no,
3: no. Nothing like that happened. No, no. No, that's normal on CBS. That's normal. That happens on top. That's all the right. time. That's like not tradition. No, um, I think the whole thing was people respected the energy me and Miro have, and no one ever wanted to get in the, en- the way of that. So mm-hmm. no one ever was like, oh, do that. Like, I mean, the most we did was get writers. And as you see, you know, shout out to our writers. We love them. Okay. And they help with the sketches and everything. But the A block is just us. So it was like people never wanted to, like, get in the way of that natural flow, that natural dynamic. Dynamic. So there was never a pre-interview kind of thing. And also, we don't even know how to do a pre-interview. Like, we come <laughs> up with the questions during the interview. On the that's spot. Something. People think the questions are written ahead of time. No. We're literally coming up with those questions on the fly. And that's why sometimes you'll see... Like a question will lead to another question, another question, like four questions away. We're doing all that off the top of our head, and I'm saying that again that we should get an award for that. Hit, hit, nudge, nudge.
5: Hello.
4: There aren't there. There's no I, cheat I mean, sheet. Truly... There's no cheat
5: sheet. Like oh oh, this has gotten awkward and silent. Let me go to my cheat card. No, you gotta be there. You gotta be in the moment. You gotta perform
4: hmm. No one in late night does what you do, I would say, in terms of like just coming up with stuff on the spot, except for maybe in moments in interviews. But you mentioned like your writing staff and and you have like things on the show. Talk to me a bit about your process with your team. Like, do you guys go on retreats? Do you ask people like to go around the room and say, like answer questions like what's your process with your writers?
5: Yeah, you know, it's simple. Like we we get together like on a weekly basis and, you know, writers come up with pitches we look at them, we're like, you know, we get in in a Zoom or in like a chain and we're just like, yo, this is dope, but let's do this instead of this or let's tweak this like this or, you know what I mean? So it's just like a collaborative process. And it's easy, man, because it's like the writers are good. You know what I mean? We get good pitches and all, you know, it's just kind of like adding our sauce to it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and you get magic.
4: I was also thinking about your, your writers in terms of, the influence that the show has had on late night already. We're seeing people like Z Way, who used to be right on your show. Now she has her own late night show. What's it like seeing that influence on the late night space?
3: Oh, that's great. Shout out to Z Way. That's the homegirl. That's my home. Like I was just at the premiere party for her new season. Just to see that, because like I remember when I followed Z-Way on Twitter, just because she was funny. So now to see that I followed her and now off of our show, she has her own late night show going into season two. It's just like we have an eye and we can see the future. And, you know, shout out to other networks. We've been doing this for a minute. We've been telling people Cardi B is next. We've been naming people who are next in the guys, And people have not been taking this seriously. So that, like, have this proof of concept now. It's just like, yo, watch out. These guys know what they're doing. Like, we're not in the late night because we don't know what we're doing. Like, there's a reason we're here and, like, follow our vision, and follow our voice. And that's what people like, that authenticity. And, the fact, we know what we're talking about, and we can see things before they come. We've had people on our show way before they hit. We had Lizzo on our show before anyone knew who Lizzo was. So it's just like, that's what you come on our show for. You're going to experience and meet people you do not know and who are not on your radar, who should be on your radar, and are going to be on your radar in a couple of months. So get in early.
5: Yeah. We had Cardi B when she was releasing Gangsta Bitch Volume 1. Preach. That's that you know what I'm saying? We knew Cardi B when we were all in the
3: streets. We were all in the Bronx jumping turnstiles. The high bridge, what up?
4: <laughs> yeah, I actually I, I remember that as such an iconic moment and I went back and watched like a piece of that interview and I was like, Wow, they've all come up so much. From this up, it's moment. so wild to look at it now. Like
3: like now that and I mean I no jokes, but like if you're a little kid from the Bronx and you see the three of us, like That gives people inspiration because like, no, like, you know, you know, like J-Lo, Fat Joe and all that stuff. That was before their time. This was like four years ago. So people were just like, yo, if y'all made it, Mm -hmm. I could make it. So, and you always meet people and they're like, yo, you always represent the Bronx. Thank you for what you do. You meet older people who was like, yo, y'all not afraid to tell people y'all from the Bronx. And like young kids are just like, yo, if y'all did it, I could possibly do it. will they? we don't know. But listen, we put it out there. It's up to you.
5: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Manifest, manifest. You know what I'm oh, saying? Shit. Whatever the like the cool kids are saying. Sage your room. But not <laughs> put on your vision board. There you know what I mean? Put me? it on your like, dream catcher. You know, but to that point, like it's 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 true. And like you see somebody like you know like us and like Cardi. They like, we haven't changed who we are, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Fundamentally, like, we're, we're the same people. Like, obviously, you change and you grow, but like, Cardi's still, like, you know, she still got the accent, she's still like, she got joints with K Flock, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, she's Cardi's still, still tweeting drugs. reckless
3: on Twitter. That is the most Bronx thing I've ever seen. That's what we do. That's what we do. We do not know how to do Twitter. We search our names and we threaten people.
4: <laughs> <laughs> who was somebody who was the most. Who, like, had... I mean, I guess maybe it was Quinta, but who had the biggest reaction of, like, oh, man, I'm, I'm sad that this is done.
3: Ooh, we get that a lot. But I think... A lot. Michelle Yo Because I feel yeah. like she doesn't get a chance to have fun in interviews. All her mm-hmm. interviews are very stoic. They're very... ah, And, like, no. you can see during the interview she got comfortable with us and she was just chilling with us. Like, the, the fact... The, you know, if you seen the movie The Hot Dog Hands, mm-hmm. the fact that she is, like, a world-renowned actress, she's gonna probably go down... As a legend, and she let us like rub her face with the hot dog hands, like <laughs> the temple
4: massage. Miro exactly. Her a temple it,
3: massage. <laughs> it doesn't get better than that. That right there. That's and then you know, like as two interviewers, when you see the person you're interviewing get comfortable like that, that makes your day. Because then you're like, yo, we got this. We got this. Then you can ask whatever question you want. They're, they're never. We've never had an interview with someone like clams up or doesn't want to talk. But when you really get them comfortable, and it's just like. It's like when at the end, we only have to make up an excuse like, yo, we're out of time. Because the people really are like, yo, we could go for another hour. And I'm like, the show is only 25 minutes.
5: Like, relax. Like, we got to do our A block. Like, yo, David Letterman is a great example, too. Like, he literally would not leave. He He demanded a crew hoodie. He was like, I want a hoodie. Not the merch store stuff, like the crew stuff. He wanted the real stuff. So (laughs) shout
3: out to him. And like, even after the interview, he's talking us backstage. Because he had so much fun. Because he said the show we do is the show he's always wanted to do. And you saw it come through in the interview, And right? He was just so comfortable. And you can see he was just smiling and having the time of his life. And he still stays in contact with us because, listen, we're going to be having back on the show. But that was, you know, we've, all our interviews are great. But that interview was like one for the books. Like, that was the one we really was like, yo, we made it.
4: Yeah, that one, that one was really great, and I was, I was actually gonna ask about him next, but you, what you answered was way better than what I was even gonna ask. But I love that you guys are still in touch with him. Do you guys hang out with David Letterman? Have uh, you hang no, out? no he's an of old man, oh, so we can't yeah. hang
3: out with him. Like, like all right, let's draw a line somewhere. Like, yeah, he's
5: also <laughs> tremendously rich.
3: You really want me dragging <laughs> David Letterman to midnight in Williamsburg? I don't think that's safe for anybody.
4: It's, for, it's, for, on, it's for the best for him, actually. If
5: you see
3: me but. and David Letterman and Mason on Bedford, something's gone very wrong.
5: Come on, man. <laughs>
4: Speak David Letterman out here at the
5: mall off edibles and eating Chick-fil-A. Like, Yo, Dave, I think our Uber's here. Get in, bro. We're
3: going to zero bond. I heard Eric Adams is there.
4: Yeah, it's going to be oh late, bro. Paul. What do you guys think of Eric Adams?
3: What do I think of Eric Adams? I have to watch this carefully because you know. You see how Hollywood Jesus is going. I'm going to be in the photo with him within the next month. Like, we know it. He just be popped. And it's not even I'm going, play. he's going to pop up in my house. He might pop up right here. Like, I, I got the door locked. I'm scared.
5: Hey, how you doing? You know how little
3: kids be like, yo, daddy, there's something under my bed? That's how every New Yorker feels about Eric Adams. He might show up at your baby's house. He's like, show up. Like, what's up? Like, you just see me, he's like, W-Y-D. I'm like,
5: no, no. It's like Candyman. If you look in the mirror, you say Eric Adams three times, he'll show up behind you in a pair of hard bottoms. Like, yo, wh- wh- where are we going? <laughs> but
3: um, no,
4: like, I couldn't resist asking. He's he's
3: the mayor, and it's like but he's also the mayor by basically default because no one voted cause of COVID. And like how can you be proud of that? So everyone's like, Oh, why would you vote for him? So we we didn't really have a choice? Like Also um,
5: the ranked choice voting? Did they introduce it for him?
3: It feels good that New Yorkers are now picking um, good candidates that make great sketches for SNL, because that's what's important. Not who actually runs the city, but just you know, who can Pete Davidson play on a Saturday night? So uh. that's right.
5: Who has who has bad veneers that we can make mm-hmm. jokes about? <laughs>
4: And that's what New York is about. <laughs> just on that note, you mentioned Letterman hanging around, and just kind of while we're on this politician wave, I, I heard you guys say that President Obama also kind of hung around after his interview and just wanted to chat with you guys. Talk to me a little bit about that and and interviewing him. Oh, that was he knew cool. us. That he was, was that
5: was like he came in and he was just like, "So you got four kids, huh, Meryl?" Well, up he knew like? us in a
3: way. It wasn't like he just had Secret Service Google us. Like clearly, he's watched the show. Like, he, he knew us, and like you would see he was, like, proud of us. And the way he talked to him was very fatherly, and it was just, like, kind of just, like, it's very earnest. And, like, you know, you got to see, like, why people always say Obama's, like, the coolest guy in the room and everything. And it felt really good because, you know, you got a secret service lined up around the room ready to shoot you if you reach reaching your pocket too fast. So he was just like, yo, you my guys. This is good, whatever, whatever. He took a couple too many jigs at my Knicks. Don't like that, but you know what? We get past that. You know what? Our book outsold his. It did not.
4: That's right. It did not. It did not. <laughs> the the <laughs> Asterisk at the end, it did not. Editors it note. Did Not. <laughs> but <laughs>
5: Mara, how was I'm it for my, you? I'm like, man, you wrote a Harry Potter book about your life, bro. This is eighteen hundred pages.
4: God damn. <laughs> do you guys have any um I mean you've had like everyone on the show? Do you have dream guests or dream like things to do? Well, actually first, dream guests. Who are the dream, dream guests? guests now? Yeah.
3: We could interview anybody. Like, we want we to talk to anybody. Like, we could have Warren uh-huh. Buffett on. And like, at the end of the interview, who have like a gold chain and a do-rag. Like, we just want to <laughs> just talk to whoever's out there and whoever will come on the stage. And what I love is like, when we get like the more, I want to say esoteric, but like, the guests that you think would never be on our show. Yeah. So someone like Martha Stewart. Or someone like close. that's just, yeah. Like someone so out of circle that it doesn't make any sense. But when you see, a, see us interviewing them, it's like, oh, that makes perfect sense.
4: Just one quick question. Um, We mentioned, like, sort of at the top, like, how much the show has evolved. And I wanted to give a shout-out to the set, the production design, because I love it. I feel like it's evolved so much. Can you Mm -hmm. talk a little bit about the aesthetic of the show?
5: Oh, yeah. I mean, like, we're the Bodega Boys. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it was, like, at first it was like, yo, is it too on the nose to sit in front of a bodega? And then it was just like, nah, it's not. That was our school of comedy. You know what I mean? Like, being outside with your friends, roasting. You know, and the lighting and everything else. A lot of thought goes into that. So shout out to the lighting crew, set design, you know what I mean? And, uh, you know, like, just the turning and actually turning the interior of that bodega. Because before it wasn't, like, uh, there was no space in there. It was just, like, a facade. But then turning that into, like, an interview area that really, like, it hits. And it feels so good. Like, when when Denzel walked in there, he's like... Like, most, a lot of guests that are familiar <laughs> with bodegas walk in there and they're like, yo, this looks like a real bodega. Like, I'm really
3: <laughs> Wow,
5: okay. Because that's what we're going for.
3: Shout out to, you know, Dave Drewski and the rest of the production crew. They really encapsulated what we were trying to do. We were trying to get the feel of basically people in the bodega having the conversation. Now it seems like it's like we're on two milk crates outside of the bodega just pontificating about stuff we don't really know about, but stuff we kind of heard about. So, you know, and you could see, like, the growth. From the different studios we have and even season four, little things like lifting the chairs, backlighting the actual bodega window. These little subtle effects that we you know, as an average person, like I never see that. I'm always facing the camera like this. I do not see what's behind me and either the mirror. But you know, shout out to JD and all our everyone that works on our staff. They do these subtle twerks and like we're getting all these compliments from fans and from like Showtime and everyone. Cause these little things, these people know how to make TV. So these little differences are making the show better and bringing it to a higher level. And that's, you know, with the guests being on this level and the show being like this level, we're killing it this season.
4: Yeah, absolutely. I guess uh, last question, I'll wrap up with this. Um, When you kind of mentioned this a little bit earlier, but when fans, like longtime fans, come up to you and see you on the street and want to talk to you, what is it that they say? What is it that they want to talk to you guys about the most?
5: Man, it's a lot of like... A lot of like, yo, I'm proud of you. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's 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 like a it's like a healthy mix of like, yo, I'm from the Bronx too. I'm from the I'm from Queens. I'm from Brooklyn. I'm from, I'm a New Yorker. And when I see you, I see me. It's some of that. It's a lot of like, yo, thank you for like making me laugh at the end of the day. I had a long day. I had a long month. I had a long year. I had mm-hmm. a long COVID lockdown. You know what I mean? Like all this stuff. Like and just bringing like that little that little of joy, you know what I mean, in, in, in people's lives. Like, that's, that's, you can't put a price on that. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's, As corny as it may sound, you can't.
3: Because, yeah, you go on social media and, like, you don't interact with the fans. You interact with the dickheads and the haters. Because those are the people who stand out. You know, you'll have, like, a post about an interview, and you'll have 20,000 likes. And you just have one person, like, this. these niggas is corny. That person stays in your head all day if you allow it. So when you meet the fans in real life, it's none of that Twitter stuff, it's none of that Instagram, social media, hate stuff. These people have general love for you and they tell you what you did for them. So you'll have people, and it'll be wild. People be like, yo, you got my mother died. You got me through that. Um, I had cancer, you guys got me through that. Like, That's what keeps you going. When you see what you've done for the fans, that is what makes you go back and you know, like, give your all when you get down inside the show. So that's always fun. That like no matter how bad you're feeling or how down you are, when the fans come up to you, that recharges your battery and that makes you mm. you know, wanna make you do another one.
1: I'm delighted to speak to you, but sad it's on this occasion. I just watched the finale for the second time and it was. Oh my was, god. It was it was good catharsis. I really needed that, but I'm gonna to need to talk through this with you. It's okay. Um, <laughs> well, first off, I'm so happy you directed it. I had read something saying you weren't gonna direct any of the final season's episodes, but how did it feel four years after you directed the premiere to be closing out this chapter on the birds, also directing the finale?
2: It was it was a little bittersweet because uh, obviously it's something that we all loved was coming to a close but the sweet part was that we uh, we felt like we had maybe gotten fairly close to this pretty ambitious target we were all trying to hit at the beginning which was um, you know something that is dramatic but has maybe a flash of funny maybe here or there but something that's bleak but might have some kind of uh, hope in, in, in a weird sort of opaque way, uh, something that is cinematic and a slow burn, but yet really compelling um, and uh, a good narrative drive. I mean, there was, you know, there, were, there was some, some specificity to it. We got close, I think, and I'm really proud of us uh, for all doing that.
1: Well, it it is such a tonal balancing act, especially with the finale, because as dark and as criminal as these characters are and as sad as the outcome is for Ruth, there's something weirdly uplifting about the sanctity of, like, family and marriage and, I guess, how how they hold those values. How long were you prepping to direct the finale? I'm curious how long you were thinking this out.
2: You know, obviously a lot longer than... um... Than another director might because Chris and I were talking about the ending of the show even before the final year started. So there was a, a lot of sort of macro thought um, for quite a while before the technical pre production, you know, the prep of it started for, you know, all the micro stuff about two weeks before we started shooting. But the thematics of that ending uh, and the mechanics of that ending from a plot standpoint were kind of in our, in our minds much earlier. And um, I've got a real light touch, uh, if, if any, even on the writing. Um, they, don't, they don't need my dumbass mucking that stuff up. So I, I just kind of waited to see what, what Chris landed on in how the plot and the story was going to reflect some of the thematic stuff that we were talking about with respect to what kind of bill should the birds pay. At the end of this thing, what? How do we want to end this? Do they want to? Do we want them to get away with it or not get away with it? Um, if they don't get away with it, should we feel that there's some good news in it somehow? Or if they do get away with it, should we feel that there's some kind of bad news to that somehow? What's, what's the mix? And um, I really think they came up with a, with a pretty cool way to do that, and in a way that was consistent with what they had done with all the rest of the stuff uh, leading up to that and how disciplined they are about being somewhat measured about, well, there's violence, but is it done in an interesting way? There's, there's bad behavior, but is there some guilt associated with it? Is there, there's always some kind of hopefully counterbalance to, to what they're doing. And, uh, and I think they did that really well with final events.
1: Right. There were so many layers to it. I was really, really shocked by the ending, but I love the dialogue. The dialogue did such a good job of when, you know, this This episode will be airing at the end of May. So these are spoilers if you haven't seen the episodes yet. But the way the private detective says, I have
2: notes somewhere here. He talks something about uh, how you don't get to do X, Y, and Z and get away with it. And the world doesn't work that way. And, and, uh, and Laura's character says, um, since when, you oh, know,
1: it's so good. Yeah. How long did you know that? that Wendy and Marty were going to stay together because I, after the first batch of episodes was almost hoping that Marty left. Wendy seemed so reckless in her actions. And these episodes did a, a great job of sort of gelling that back together and getting us back on board with Wendy. But I'm curious how long you knew that they were going to end up together.
2: I knew the whole time, mostly because I wasn't told otherwise. You know, that would have been a very significant thing that Chris would want to discuss with me and with Laura well before we'd ever read it in a script, because you'd want to sort of backfill some of that as a lead up to it. But he's been very clear from the beginning that this is ultimately about family, this show, and um, they're putting each other through the ringer to test the, the strength of that. Marriage and you know challenges um, that folks like you and me wouldn't do because we're we're not on a TV show. You know, like you got <laughs> you got to make some real mistakes and do some pretty bad behavior to expect to grab the attention of us normal folks that are watching the television. So I knew that they were going to continue to really challenge each other with their their bad decisions. Marty starts this whole thing off in season one by leading her down a path of problems. And she stayed with him. She obviously did something that was pretty tough for Marty to deal with too, but not dissimilar from hundreds and thousands of other marriages. So I knew that there was going to be something that she was going to equally challenge him with towards the end as far as a a a career path, a life path, a an ethics path. Uh, this sort of really testing the bounds of, you know, do the ends justify the means? And she really does dress up her decisions in a, in a pretty justified way. I'll, I'll say in quotes, um, but she's as clever and as intelligent as Marty is, and consequently can talk herself into doing some pretty bad things with an eye on a. More ethical prize downstream, um, and he follows her in that direction. And and um, the ending, uh, I'll leave it up to the audience to decide whether it seems like you know harmony and health is 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 in the next episode that we're not doing, uh, or the next season that that you know it, it we're not doing. But hopefully, a good ending will imply some future that uh, that's satisfying.
1: Do you have any thoughts on what Marty and Wendy's next chapter is?
2: Yeah, I, I, I would bet you that they'll go up to Chicago and they'll, they'll test this theory of hers, which is, have we acquired enough political capital to put into play some things that will help folks? Um, and, uh, you know, acquiring that capital was messy. Um, but will the ends justify those means? And so they'll try that. My, my assumption is that while they're, they're, they're smarter now than when we first met them, I still feel like their hubris and their arrogance will continue to trip them up. I think humility would probably guide them towards some better decisions, but uh, I don't think they're there yet, uh, you know, unfortunately.
1: And and Marty, Marty's relationship with Ruth has been one of the highlights of the series for me. I just love that platonic dynamic that you don't get to see really explored that much. He's something of a mentor, maybe a little bit of a father figure to Ruth. Can you talk a little bit about what that relationship has meant to you through the series? And what's been interesting to explore?
2: Yeah, um, you know Marty's relationship with Ruth. It, you, you said it, it. It is. It is definitely a little bit of a um, kind of a do over for him. You know, he's got somebody there that he could shape and help out of what is a criminal situation. You know, where he he finds her in sort of this criminal family, and but yet he does end up kind of dragging her into a different flavor of criminality. So he's not. You know, he's failing again as a as a, as a paternal guide or a mentor. I think they both were, were a little bit better from it, but not completely fixed. Uh, and then my relationship with Julia just personally, um, was just, you know, fantastic. I, I just, I, I just couldn't like her more as a person, as a, as an actor, she and I had an incredible collaboration with this whole thing. And, and I loved what, she taught me. I hope I taught her some stuff. And it was never, ever a problem. It just, everything was always so fun and friendly and supportive and trusting. And anytime I had a chance to direct her was just pure joy. And anytime I got a chance to act with her, it was also just immediately, you know, there was a, there was a connection there. And she got what I was trying to do with Marty, and I really got what she was trying to do with Ruth. And those two things just braided perfectly.
1: In these final episodes, we see she hits the jackpot in terms of certain circumstances. Her being entitled to Wyatt's bit of the stakes was a genius twist Mm -hmm. I didn't see coming. Um, But we see her getting her criminal record expunged. She comes so close to getting out. And Marty, my he gives her the chance. He says, I have a guy. You can change your name. And it's this beautiful exchange. She says, no, I want to keep my name. I like it. I think Marty says something to the effect of, I do too. And then she, she dies. And if she has to die, I'm glad she's doing it, standing her ground. Right. She's unafraid. But can you talk about grappling with that scene and having to direct that, the death of such a beloved character?
2: Yeah, and that that's something that, that Chris was really um, passionate about was making sure that if we're going to kill a beloved character, we better do it in a way that the fans of that character can feel good about. And uh, and a lot of it really was that was literally her standing, um, and 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 also metaphorically sort of standing her ground, you know, and and going out on on her terms, and and literally asking for it. That's just consistent with Ruth. And um, what was really fun was talking with Julia about how to kind of navigate what Chris had given us, which was giving her a moment of fear and realization of what was coming, and then giving her the room to transition to acceptance and almost kind of turning it into uh, a good thing that, you know, well, let's kind of do this. And and perhaps if we could see inside of her mind, would we see that she's shuffling through images in her life that while, yes, it was short, she did get some of the things done, maybe a lot of the things done that she wanted to do and and wasn't really sure if she was capable of doing. Maybe it, yeah, it was a sprinter's life, but did she hit extend the metaphor you know to kind of hit the the finish line uh in a winning position it was you know brief but she won you know obviously we don't flash into her head and we don't have the dialogue that says all that but I hope you see in her performance um maybe a flash of that maybe just enough to give the audience a a taste to kind of motivate that that thought so that you could find acceptance with it as, a, as an audience member, like she does as a, as a character. That was, that was the intention. And uh, there was some aesthetics about what we found ourselves in that night with the way the headlights were lighting her, the fact she was in white and the killer was in black, the fact that we had a lot of wind that night, there was something kind of mythic or Gothic or tragic, you know, sort of Shakespearean about like there, there was something kind of weighty about it that, that matched the, the plot moment of it all, I think. And, uh, we got lucky.
1: Right. Was, was there any part of you that's sad or you're just so full in director technical mode? You're not even thinking in those terms.
2: I mean, if that death had come even an episode earlier, it would have been really sad because then we couldn't have done the last episode with her. But the fact is she died on the last episode. So, you know, we all were dying. Everybody died in that episode, basically, you know, so there wasn't that feeling of of loss of, oh my God, now we got to do the show without her. It was nice that the way the schedule worked out, it was the very last scene we filmed. Um, Yeah. When we were done with that scene, that was a wrap. And so that was also kind of interesting because while everybody wanted to kind of be sad and, and also be happy and congratulatory and huggy and kissy and I'm going to miss you. And you know, it was, you know, six in the morning and the sun was coming up and everybody still had to wrap out all their equipment, load the trucks and get home. So it was sort of like, I love you, but I'll talk to you at the wrap party. You know, so it was it was it was an interesting. It was really fun.
1: Uh, There's a great moment dramatically great moment for marty a few episodes earlier in the episode laura actually directed where marty yeah, just did she do an
2: incredible job with that such a good job i think job. it's my favorite my favorite episode of the season i think
1: i i love the ending i love the music cue um todd Rundgren. it's so yeah. good but Barty totally loses it in traffic and beats the shit of another person. And I was glad he got that moment, that tension release. But I'm curious what it was like for you, because you've played Marty so coolly and calmly. He's always the smartest sort of person calculating inside. But finally, you get this great show of aggression. What was that like?
2: It, it was, It was, and it was on purpose, too. Like, I remember when when Laura, you know, she was talking to me about prepping for the, she's like, I'm so excited. It's like, Marty finally loses his shit. You know, this is going to be a uh, great. And I was, you know, because it was important. It was, it was on purpose that I play the character in such a way where there's so much fire. There's so much, um, there's arson all over the place, uh, in, in, in our show. And you do need one firefighter, you know, in there, otherwise <laughs> it's all, it's all flame and you're just like, uh, enough. So I was always trying to be that element of the recipe from the very first episode and try to be somewhat of a calm center, some somewhat of a non-hysteric center for everyone to be able to be crazy. And then that episode uh there's an opportunity for Marty to finally kind of release the valve a little bit and um and that was that was fun. That was cool and it was again it was done in a way that was pretty measured and disciplined. It wasn't sort of the the easy stuff of like, oh well, now he just starts shooting everybody and really loses it. Um, it's done in a way that is kind of lo fi low-tech, like beating some guy up with his fist, you know, at, at, oh, in, at, in road rage, you know, just being stuck in traffic with Todd Runrun going on, you know, in the Like it was, so it was still kind of a half measure that was kind of kind of cool, and she just did such a great job directing that that sequence and also all the scenes leading up to it like she'd done it a million times is amazing that's her first thing
1: can you talk a little bit about your partnership with laura i'm always so curious how it works when you're playing a married couple and you have this sort of innate understanding you have this shared something that we as viewers don't know what it is but we're we're seeing it in you um can you talk a little bit did you know her before the series
2: No, I I didn't know her before. Well, we'd met maybe once before, but I certainly didn't, you know, know her. But I knew that if we were lucky enough to grab her as the first piece of this build-out, that it would send a very clear message to the community um, and also to the audience, eventually, of what the show is and what it isn't. Um, You know, she lends just enormous credibility and pedigree to anything that she does. And anything with a bag of money and a gun could go sideways quickly as far as quality and tone goes. And so I knew she would be a great declaration of, of what we we're shooting for. Um, and in fact, when I met with her for the very first time for this, it was at a restaurant that she and I ate dinner at last night. For the first time since that very, very first meeting, and you know, I'm in town. She lives here. I'm in New York um, to do, you know, the final screening of this thing. And so last night we had dinner, and we literally were sitting at the table right next to where she and I sat that very first time five or six years ago. So it was really cool. But as far as uh, chemistry goes and the that sort of intangible dynamic that we as an audience really love when you see it, there's no secret strategy to building that it's not any different than anybody you work with or anybody listening works with or uh, not even just works with but just knows i mean when you meet somebody that you connect with somebody that you just kind of sorry to use the hippy dippy term but kind of vibe with you just know it's not something you say it's not something you ask It's just a vibe and from that place comes a great working relationship or a great friendship or a great marriage or you just know what they like and you know how they communicate and you know what you don't need to say, but what you can share with a look or with body language or you just get it. And usually that person's not an asshole Usually that person is somebody that is great and you kind of, you immediately recognize that you've just skipped about 12 dates and (laughs) you're off and running and we can talk in a shorthand now. And how that manifests itself with acting is you just are already in rhythm. So you can take a big, big pause in the middle of your line, for instance, and you know they're not going to think you've forgotten your line. They just get this is the way this person communicates. And so therein fills this great acting kind of moment that you're connected with because you just kind of understand each other, I guess is what I'm saying. And so we got to do that with dramatic scenes, with humorous scenes, with long, long scenes or really short scenes, scenes with dialogue, scenes without We just get each other and really, 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 really like each other. And that's what let us kind of fight without any worry whatsoever that the other person is going to see some flare of anger or aggression inside the scene that's going to damage a relationship that's already fragile. Our relationship is just so strong. We love each other so much that we could just be fucking terrible to each other on screen. And that was really, really fun.
1: Were you charting the relationship at all? Because it does go on such a roller coaster. There are moments where I was thinking they're absolutely going to split up. Marty's going to get sick of this. Or is it just, you go script to script?
2: Well, you knew there was just such shared desperation between the two of them that you knew that they, they have to be yelling at each other. They're both screwed, but they're so reliant on one another. They both have so much on each other. They have two kids together. There's just, there's so much there that they have and that they've been through that it built so much elasticity. You could just stretch it wherever you wanted to go and they're just stuck. So um, that was helpful.
1: You've been so involved with the show since the very beginning in terms of executive producing it, directing it, starring in it. What's this experience been like? Are you going to do it again?
2: Yeah, I'd love to do something as good as this and maybe even harder or or with more scope or responsibility or what I don't know. I don't know what those things are. I mean, maybe, you know, my original goal was to direct all these episodes, but we couldn't because of time and budget. I'm going to um, I'm going to start prep in about a month on something that's, you know, a big, huge, big budget movie with big stars and visual effects and all that stuff that I've, you know, another thing I've been asking for, and uh uh-oh, here it is. So I'm excited to challenge myself with that, and I'm nervous, I'm excited, and uh, so... I just feel really fortunate.
1: Well, Jason, thank you so much. I'm really going to miss the birds. But if, if it had to end, this was a great finale. Um, so congratulations
0: on it all.
2: Thank you, Julie. Thank you very much.
0: That does it for today's interview episode. We'll be back again on Thursday with our usual roundtable conversation. In the meantime, find us at Vanity Fair with coverage of all of these shows and much more. You can find us on Twitter at Little Gold Men. And you can sign up to text with us at Subtext. Go to joinsubtext.com slash littlegoldman or text 917-746-3771. This episode was edited and produced, as always, by Brett Fuchs.